It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 60 of the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. Stan Jiraev, Nick Braccia on deck to cover last week's UFC Fight Night, I versus Calvillo, and we're going to get into this weekend's UFC Fight Night on ESPN, which is going to be headlined by Curtis Blades as he goes up against fellow contender Alexander Volkov. Nikolai, good to be on with you, buddy. Hey, how's it going, Stan the Man? Pretty fucking good, Nick. You see, I've, I've retained my championship, Nick. I, Barely. Skinny your teeth again. You know, Nick, I congratulated you last week. I let you do a whole spiel. It seemed like it lasted about 58 minutes, but here we are. You're interrupting my first goddamn nope. sentence. I'm I'm done. Full heel turn. Not having it. I like it. You're like the heel that constantly loses. I'm into it, Nick. That's my kind of heel. Right, you should you, well, you should see what I sent to Kevin Aguiar's house. <laughs> you were pissed at Aguiar for underperforming. Yeah, this last week, I pulled ahead by one win. Um, Nick, it feels good to get this kind of win. It wasn't a tiebreaker kind of a win. It was weird because a couple of fights got changed, and so we had to rejigger our picks a little bit. Instead of giving you that tiebreaker, um, I ended up taking that final pick uh, of Tyson Nam. Nikolai, it feels good to be king. It feels good to be in the lead 10-3 to this year thus far. And you know what, Nick? You still have... You have a book coming out in a few months, and that's going to be serious shit. Two two books, actually. Two books. Tell me. What the... Damn, Nick. We need to speak more offline, apparently. Uh, But yeah, look, a pretty good overall UFC fight night, I think. I think that Cavillo did her thing. She basically outstruck I, for the most part, out-wrestled her. And down the line, there are so many quick finishes on this card. I think a lot of that can be attributed to the smaller cage, Nick. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Um, it's, it's, um, It's kind of evened out because... These cards are weird. They're not these Apex cards. There's not they're the cards are overall a little bit weaker than the usual ESPN Plus card. I'm sure that has a lot to do with fighter availability, people taking advantage of opportunities. We're seeing turnaround, uh, fighters coming back to fights a second or third uh, time this year, or even the second time within a couple of weeks, which uh, with much more frequency than we usually do. And we're seeing this smaller cage for uh, more action and and more finishes. So overall, these last two Apex cards have been uh, mostly entertaining, uh, despite the comparative or relative mediocrity in the cage as far as the level of UFC performer goes. Lots of um, lots of unranked uh, comp- you know competitors in the mix uh, and some new names, but some very, very competitive and interesting fights. And this upcoming card that we're going to discuss and do our picks around today has a lot of pickums on it. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting about that with you and hopefully avoiding some of the fights uh, so that you're forced into the difficult decision. Yeah, I'm of the same mindset about this upcoming Apex card, but uh, let's quickly go over this last one. Yeah, to your point, the last couple of weeks, they have been entertaining. Uh, Joe Silva apparently used to be big on pushing for the UFC using the smaller cage in most events because he realized that those that like to run don't really have any place to go. You kind of have no choice but to buckle down and exchange in some style matchups, and that has proven to be the case. I spoke quickly about Cynthia Calvillo's impressive victory. You got to make a little bit of a comment on Jessica I missing weight for the second time in a row. You know, a lot of fighters go through this. In fact, Cynthia Calvillo's gone. Uh, Calvillo's gone through this, you know, over the last few fights. She's missed weight several times at this point, which is why she's moving up to 125 pounds for this one. But Jessica Eyes actually talked shit previously to fighters that have not made weight, and I thought that makes it particularly interesting. It's essentially Jessica I putting her boot in her mouth. I'm quickly gonna play a clip of Jessica I making this Instagram post towards Siraja uh, Sajira Eubanks. And Sajara Eubanks, Stan, can you please learn how to pronounce the fighter's name before we get 
on the call. If you want to do some prep where we work on some sort of oratory <laughs> skills so that you're ready, that's something I, I can make myself available at a really affordable rate. Nick, I cannot possibly wait for the next Russian fighter's name that you have to pronounce. Looking forward to it. But- it's, it's, it's probably in about six seconds, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, Agapova. So, so yeah, I'm quickly going to play this clip of Jessica I because I have to for the listeners. I, I think they deserve to hear this as Jessica I fails to make weight for a second time in a row. <laughs> All that mean mugging really don't mean nothing when you can't make weight. I mean, come on, Sarge. You, you couldn't put your foot in your mouth any more than you ever have than you did today. Learn to be a professional. You'll get the fights that you want and you feel you deserve when you make weight just like the rest of us oops <laughs> yeah if you're gonna see the look on her face as she delivers this video just impassionately sitting in her car toward eubanks it's really really hysterical to to see someone talk all of that shit and then and then do this and what's funny is she was proud of being only two tenths of a pound over that 120 126 pound limit from what I understand, like I think there is a serious argument to be made that she grabbed onto that kind of uh, towel, that thing that was used to hide her mm-hmm. uh, nude body from everyone, from, from the media. And she kind of held onto it like Daniel Cormier did, except when Daniel Cormier did it against Anthony Rubble Johnson, he actually made weight. And Jessica I still couldn't pull off making weight. She was proud of being just barely overweight. And uh, according to Cynthia Calvillo, she, her... Jessica's manager reached out to Calvillo's and basically said she's going to be about three or four pounds over. And that was just a little bit before that weigh-in. So, yeah, there's a lot of reason to believe there was funny business there. And she still didn't make weight. And she's talked shit about people not making weight. I think it's a safe bet that she's probably going up to 135 after this. I don't think the UFC is going to let her fail to make weight for this division again. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo, though, she looked good, man. She put everything together. I think a lot of folks expect that I to have the advantage standing up, but Calvillo did her thing. Even there, I thought, even though there were some rounds that were closely matched as far as the strikes landed, I thought that Calvillo still landed the cleaner, bigger shots that weren't glancing nearly as much as Jessica I. What are your thoughts, buddy? You know, it's 125 after the champ is a a kind of underwhelming weight class comparatively. It's still developing. Uh, I I like it. I like a lot of the fighters there, but I don't. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not confident. Jessica, I sniffs the top ten at 135. Um, Cynthia Calvillo, she she looked good. Do I think that she can beat uh, Jennifer Maya or Joanne Calderwood? Or, or even Caitlin uh, Chukagian, I don't, th- I don't think so. Um, but and I'd like to see, you know, I'm not convinced that she could take down Roxy either. So um, I mean, she she's still a young, relatively upset. inexperienced prospect. I think I think it's fair to let her work her way up the division. Yeah, she she is small. For, she is small for a weight class that does have some strong uh, some strong wrestlers in it. And I've never, I've just never been a big believer in Jessica I. Um, I thought her job was pretty good in the first round. Sometimes her, her boxing looks crisp. I've just never, it's just, it's never really clicked for me. I've not been a, uh, I've not been a big fan. I never have either. Um, so I picked, I picked Clavio, uh, who I was, you know, somewhat more of a fan of. Um, but I don't, I don't think we're looking at like a, at a world beater at 125. We may be looking at someone who, after two more wins, ends up with a shot against Shevchenko because, you know, you got to keep feeding the beast. I fucking hate that, Nick. I hate that this division has to go through this right now. Maybe Shevchenko could take some time off. I know she loves traveling the world. This division needs to figure itself the fuck out, and it's going to take a little bit of time. And until then, if she's going to keep eating up all of the potential future challengers before they're ready, all it's going to do is keep this division right where it's at right now, where we have Valentina Shevchenko at the very top, and there is not a remotely close second. I mean, Jessica I was ranked the number one contender before this bout where a 115-pound fighter came up and beat her, who 115-pound fighter who wasn't even in the top five at that strawweight division. We may see we may see a, a situation where someone like Joanne Calderwood fights the perfect fight and gets a wins a split decision. It's I, I'd say it's unlikely it's unlikely but not impossible. I'd say it's very 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 unlikely. But you know if anybody can, it's somebody who has that veteran experience. I just feel like she's never truly been an elite fighter, and fighting at this weight division has been beneficial to her because this weight division is kind of mediocre. 
Yeah, and she's a pretty good fighter. But yeah, I mean, we can only hope, and I think she's probably the best shot of anybody beating the champion at 125, Valentina Shevchenko, for a long time. I'm not seeing uh, Viviana Rujo recently lost to Jessica I. I mean, Andrea Lee recently lost. It just the division is full of girls that have either recently lost or have a bunch of losses prior to recently. And so, yeah, it's, again, uh, plenty of girls I'm hoping that'll come into the UFC in the near future at 125 that can fill out the top 10 of this division, and we can finally hopefully look forward to Valentina Shevchenko defending her belt uh, for the first time in a long time. The rest of the card was fine. I mean, Mar- uh, Marvin Vittori, finally an Italian fighter uh, who's got some upside, completely steamrolled Carl, Carl uh, Robertson. Uh, Charles Rosa and Kevin Aguiar had a not great, uh, closely contested fight. Over time, Rosa did... Uh, you know, did a little bit more damage. I think there were periods of the fight where I thought it was going to be a Gears fight, but wasn't to be. Um, a close scrap, as imagined, between Charles uh, Jordan and Andre F- uh, Touchy Feely. Uh, Feely's wrestling, his team alpha male wrestling, uh, took took over there and won him uh, the split decision. It was close. I didn't think it was split, but it was it was a good fight. Definitely uh, shouldn't have been a split decision. In fact, Charles Jordan didn't think it should have been a split decision. He reacted to that one judge that gave him the card as if, like, this guy's insane. Like, this can't be. So props to him for being honest. Jordan uh, Jordan Espinoza uh, pretty much did what he wanted against Mark De La Rosa, who's never really looked quite UFC caliber. Uh, Hannah Siffers is probably... Uh, you know, maybe not a great idea taking a fight at flyweight up from strawweight on just a couple of weeks' notice. Took her second loss of the month yep. uh, against uh, Maria uh, Agapova, uh, who put together some put together some nice striking. Uh, either it's either back to one fifteen and probably the prelims, or maybe to Invicta uh, for Hannah to to I think work on her game, or maybe establish herself as an atom weight in a, in a lesser promotion. I think for her, it all depends on whether the UFC needs someone like her to make somebody else look really good in the near future. If they don't have that kind of a matchup for her, then they're probably going to send her out of the UFC. She likely will end up in Invicta, who's going to become kind of a gatekeeper for some future UFC talent at 115. Yeah, or, or going down to 105 and having and you know being a player in a smaller pond. Um, That's probably her best chance. Uh, we had, as expected, uh, Marab uh, Devalshevili. Um, how do you like that pronunciation there, buddy? Not uh, bad. St- steamrolled Gustavo Lopez. Um, he big brothered him. He put him in a nasty headlock at one point that he couldn't get out of. Com- competitive-ish <laughs> first round, but then that that Saralongo trading with Ali Quinta and Aljamain Sterling uh, grappling took over and just clearly on another level. And um, speaking of big brothering, there was big sistering that went on in Julia Avia against Gina uh, Mazzani, who uh, you know looked like she looked like she was game in the in the face off, and then uh, just you know one of these fighters is the UFC fighter, the other you know probably isn't isn't uh, quite on the level yet. Your, I would your, even your say pick. Gina, Julia Avila is like a real, real prospect. Yeah, she is. Uh, and she's probably going to be something special. I don't know if she can win that belt, but she can get in range of it, I certainly think, in f- fighting Amanda Nunes in the next couple of years. What do you have to say about the fight that handed you the victory over me by one fight? Uh, Tyson Nam and his his late replacement 3-1 and one opponent. Uh, you're welcome for the gift. Thank you, sir. You, you know... Uh, Adashev, who had to kind of take that late replacement uh, status after Benoit pulled out of the fight, he, I mean, on paper, he looked like he could be a formidable foe for Nam. Nam's slow. He's big. He hits hard, but he's very slow. And Zaruk is like apparently this this respected kickboxer who's competed in glory and done well there. So on paper, it could have been competitive, even though he's a right, late replacement. But man, Tyson Nam landed a quick right counter to uh, Adashev's kick and that was that man that guy's got serious power so now i kind of understand why he's in the ufc and this being his first win hopefully he can put it together a little bit more and then we have uh christian aguilera who just smoked anthony ivy in the first round uh, tagged him early on with i think a right hand and then overwhelmed him with a few strikes to end the bout i really thought anthony ivy showed a lot of skill in his prior fight so it's a shame to see him go down like that but Aguilera apparently, you know, just like it looks like a bulldozer and hits like it too. Um, Devashvili, dude, 13 takedowns, Nick. That is 
his personal record that I'm pretty sure that's got to be the three round record at 135 pounds in the UFC. That's fucking unbelievable. The guy doesn't look tired at the end of 13 takedowns. And we've spoken previously about how a lot of these fighters like Yoel Romero, they realize that they can't afford to keep going for takedowns because they're tiring. And Marab can do that non-fucking-stop. It's unbelievable. Uh, Maria Agapova, you you mentioned how she's kind of like Tony Ferguson last week. I think that was spot on. She's just a scary, dangerous, gangly woman who throws finishing sequences absolutely everywhere. Yeah, it's so hard. Like That's what she looked like to me. But when you're going against lesser levels of competition in regional or in an exclusively uh, women's uh, promotion, it's, it's just really hard to tell if those skills are going to stand up uh, in the octagon, there's so many times when a guy's look like a world beater when we do our research, and then he gets in the cage, and it's a whole different ballgame. True, but she was getting in the cage, luckily for her, against a fighter who probably isn't UFC caliber anyhow. Right, She's right. probably on level with some of the girls that Agapova has been smoking in Invicta in the last several months. So uh, that's kind of how I, look, how I looked at it. And I think you looked at Cyphers early on as a prospect, and it was hard for you to shake that, uh, given you know that her last loss was to a very, very high-level grappler and, and uh and so, you know, you can't really hold that truly against her. But Agapova could be something special. Maybe Hannah Cyphers has more potential than she's shown in the octagon. Dern and Angela Hill are no joke. But at this, at the, and neither is really Macy Barber. But at the same time, um, you did trick me last week uh, in that we both thought that this fight was at her natural weight class, which is not even her natural weight class, instead of moving up to 125. And had I inspected it more closely, I never would have picked her uh, weight class up. So double gift. You, you so know what really, the, you, with a, from a know, certain point, let me finish my let me finish Please. my goddamn point. <laughs> Please do. I forgot what I was going to say. No. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's uh, no, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, I'm so glad <laughs> you old man. You. So he, he, here, here's here's the thing, Nick. Um, the, the trick to not only like knowing that piece of information and also to maybe winning more frequently in our competition is Don't research, Nick. You just, just got to do a little bit me. of research. It goes I did. I, who was the one? No, that, I'm actually you, giving you honest to God's advice. A little bit of you research. Just, you just complimented me on the research that I had done on Agapova. Sorry, so you I'm can't. Not sure. I don't follow. You oh, just yeah, told me well, the, the fact that she looks like Tony Ferguson. You you noticing that because she's a gangly weird woman. It was off of her fight style. I wasn't I wasn't uh, in the way that she was putting combos together. I didn't. Uh, it wasn't because I thought that she looked like his sister. <laughs> like my research, my research goes deeper than that, Stanislav. Well, does it go deeper than like, oh, this fighter looks a little bit like Tony Ferguson? Notes written down, and she's gonna lose. My choke on you is gonna go in deep. I can't wait for you to try and choke me. My defense is pretty fucking solid, Nikolai. Nick, I can count on one hand, maybe, maybe two hands, how many times I've been submitted in training, let alone in competition, Nick. So I look forward to you locking in that choke, Nikolai. And I know who laughing, you are. Laughing you it off. You tap out every morning when you look in the mirror. Well, definitely. I have, I have a lot of trouble <laughs> with what I see there. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but th- thank you for hitting on that note, Nick. I've, can, I've been in really good I, spirits. How can I face another day? God damn it, Nikolai! Tap, tap, tap. Let's. Uh, <laughs> you got more white. You got more white towels than Equinox. God damn it, Nick! It took me a second with that one too. More than it's white okay. towels than Equinox. I'm like, how many towels does Equinox have? I'm not sure if it was good enough or not. It was. I guess it was a good joke. We'll see. If it stays in the edit, it was great. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna decide in the edit room. I suppose <laughs> that's fair. Uh, Nikolai, let's take a break. We're gonna break down the following card. Nick, I'm gonna give you another opportunity to come from behind. Oh, wait, sorry, I was I was checking my email. What was up? Back on the MMA Geek Seal Level Podcast, Nick and I are going to get into our draft picks. As most of you know, we take turns picking the fighters on this card. Uh, whoever ends up with more winning fighters at the end of next weekend's card ends up winning the week. I am up 10 to Nick's 3, and I believe we have two draws as well. Nikolai, last week you got to make the first pick, and Julia Avila came through for you with a first-round knockout. This time I'm going to make the first pick, Nikolai, and I'm going to pick... The man that I've been believing in in a long time, the man that may have two losses, but it's to only one man, and that is Curtis Blades 
Uh, I like him to finish Alexander Volkov in the five-round period, buddy. Uh, that was my first pick also. I just, you know, Volkov's a, Volkov's a good striker. What he doesn't do is hit as hard as Francis Ngannou. And and I just don't see him standing on his feet long enough. Like, Blade, I just... Blaze is going to get him down and and ground and pound him if he doesn't if he doesn't hit him with a uh, you know with a with a looping shot first and get him down that way. That's the thing on the off chance that Blades doesn't get the takedown, uh, like in his matchup against JDS, which he's likely to get a takedown here. Um, he can always yep. land him with that wall up of a right hand. He's really come a long way under the Elevation Fight Team, and he's become a true, true scary heavyweight over the years. So excited to see him compete this weekend. What's your first pick, buddy? My first pick is, I mean, there's two of them. There's two of them here. I've been a little bit undecided about. You know what? I'm going to go, these are two fighters that have seen better days, and I just think one of them still has some okay days ahead of them, whereas the other one I think is probably kind of shot. So I'm going to pick I'm gonna pick Bobby Green to beat Clay Guida. I just think Bobby Green's got, got more tools. I don't think Guida can, can smother a guy who's still that athletic um, and who can scramble his way out, and Bobby Green has faced very daunting wrestlers in his career and survived or come out on top holds his own i think he'll be able to uh to catch guida or just land more over the course of three rounds i don't think guida's smother game um is going to work at this stage well enough for him to get the decision although bobby green loses plenty of split and weird decisions i just think this is his fight to lose yeah, I'm on the same page with you. Guida is in the final chapter of his MMA career, coming into this 45th MMA fight against Bobby Green. He still gets wins against aging veterans like BJ Penn and Joe Lazan, but he's been not faring as well against younger fighters who are still kind of in their prime. Uh, he has wins over RDA, Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz, Josh Thompson. I mean, these are major names, a bunch of former champions, if not in the UFC, then in Strike Force. And He's not been able to get himself in a UFC title fight. He never will, unfortunately, for him. Bobby Green is a very experienced veteran at this point who seems to have a knack for losing competitive decisions, like you said. Uh, his inconsistent fighting style has brought him to a 1-5 in five record in his last six, but the argument could be made for him deserving a win in probably three of those five losses. So, yeah, you're right. He has a knack for losing these really competitive fights, but I don't expect this to be as competitive as some of those bouts. I expect Bobby Green to be able to do his thing here for a decision. So on the same page with you there, Nick. My next. How far up? How far up did you have that one? This was going to be number three for me. My oh, okay. My okay. Uh, next pick was going it was number two on my list. I'm going to take Roosevelt Roberts to yep. uh, to beat Jim Miller. Um, Roosevelt Roberts is a legitimate prospect. He's making his second appearance in less than three weeks, having dispatched of Brock Weaver within ten minutes on uh, June 30th. His one loss is to. A veteran in Vince Pichel, but he has looked dominant against mid-level UFC fighters outside of that. He's facing his second grizzled veteran in the UFC tenor here, and I expect him to come out on top. Miller is a former top contender at lightweight, obviously years ago. Uh, following his fight with Lyme disease, he's had trouble fighting effectively past the first round, but he's been finishing a lot of guys in that first round. In fact, if he gets a win, it's usually in the first. Um, his resume l reads as a list of top lightweight fighters of all time, but he's won against few top prospects or contenders lately so yeah i like roosevelt roberts big here that was to be uh that was the pick i was the fight i was going back and forth over uh over you know so we've had the same first three with those other two slightly inverted yes sir and it's just one of those things where roosevelt roberts is great but i just think jim jim miller still occasionally has a, i think he's got a few tricks left in the bag uh, like I'm still picking Roberts, but I think the the possibility of Jim Miller upsetting Roberts is greater than the possibility of Guida upsetting Green. I'm there with uh, you. We'll 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 see. I might not I might not be right. Uh, now I'm for me it's gonna I'm gonna pick one of uh, one of three uh, women's MMA fights remain. Oh, one of four. Holy cow! Women's MMA fights remaining. I think I'm gonna go with the prospect uh, Brianna Van Buren to defeat uh, Tisha Torres. She's still new and fresh in her UFC career, but Torres is on a four-fight skid. Um, 
So it's it's un, it's unusual that a fighter coming off of a win will be uh, matched up against a fighter on such a skid. But Torres has been uh, in there against like really terrific competition, and her her game plan and her size just don't seem to be working. She's not. Um, I think she's actually an inch taller than Brianna uh, Van Buren. Yep. But but Van Buren seems like a like she's still still probably be the thicker fighter in the cage. Uh, may, you know maybe I'm wrong there, but I. I just I'm picking the prospect over the vet. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. This was going to be one of my next couple of picks, uh, but not quite my next one. Tisa Torres is you're right. She's a natural atom weight who's had to put on muscle in order to compete at 115 pounds. She's riding a four fight losing streak, um, but it's to the very best that the division has to offer. Four of her five career losses are to the last four champions at strawweight. Like she doesn't lose to to any mid level fighters by any means. She's fast and generally prefers to strike, even though she's not really much of a finisher overall. Uh, Brianna Van Buren is a protege of Daniel Cormier and his Gilroy High School wrestling program. She won the Invicta Strawweight title with three wins in one night before making her UFC debut and dominating Livia Souza, who used to also be the Invicta Strawweight champion. She's aggressive with her striking and explosive with her wrestling, even though she's only five feet tall. So yeah, I think Tisha Torres, like their body types are very similar here overall. Torres is more experienced, but she's taken a lot of damage over the years. Her confidence has suffered. I know she's dealing with depression um, throughout her career. Really, so I do like Brianna Van Buren, but I see Tisha Torres can absolutely win this fight if she's in the right headspace. She's got all of the skills too. I really do believe that, um, but I, I do think Brianna Van Buren would probably be able to apply the right kind of pressure. She does really well striking out of the clinch. She pushes forward with her offense to push you up against the cage, which sets up her takedowns. And uh, yeah, I feel like Tisha Torres has been taken down several times over the, over the course of her last few fights. So. This is not necessarily the best matchup for her for several reasons. Uh, Nikolai, my next pick is going to be Raquel Pennington to beat Marion Renau. Rocky actually has had the chance to really hit the top of this weight class. She's a former title challenger, having gone the distance against the GOAT Amanda Nunes in a title fight a few years back. She's... She's a well-rounded fighter who likes to focus on her striking and mainly uses her wrestling against opponents who have an edge in the stand-up. At 42 years old, Marion Renau is pretty dangerous on the ground against opponents who have holes in the grappling department. She is... You know, a competent striker, but has had trouble against more athletic opponents like Yana Kuniskaya and Kat Zangano. Um, I think Rocky Pennington at this point is going to have the athletic advantage, if only by a little bit, uh, in strength, if not speed. I think that she's put her game together well enough and has fought some of the very best and wasn't blown out of the water. So I expect that she should be able to do well against the 42-year-old high school teacher. Yeah, same. Um, Renault is just not quite active enough. Pennington sometimes doesn't always fight up to her potential. It's a question of like, where can you go after you've done what she's done? Her record um, is quite middling for how good she is, but I, I'm definitely, I definitely was going, uh, was going to pick her in this spot. Makes sense. Um, so the next, my next pick is going to be, um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite fighters and a consistent fan favorite, uh, Roxanne Matafari, uh, to defeat, uh, Lauren Murphy. I think that, uh, you know, Murphy's a, a really, I think, uh, capable fighter, but I think this new and improved strength and conditioning um, Roxy should be able to get to put her up against a cage, to take her down, to do some ground and pound damage. Um, as long as I think Roxanne keeps it, um, you know, doesn't try to have a straight kickboxing fight with her, as though, although she's. Um, had better luck with those lately. Um, I think that I think that it'll be. I think Roxy can win this fight from on top, either finishing her or by decision. So Roxy is a longtime MMA veteran. She's held like titles and smaller promotions as far back as 2005. Nick and you, you like you don't realize how much experience she really has at this point. She's reinvented herself since moving back to the U.S. from Japan and trains at Syndicate MMA under John Wood, which is probably the best situation for her. Uh, She tends to beat untested prospects like Macy Barber and Antonina Shevchenko, and she tends to lose to more athletic veterans. I do think she's been focusing on her strength and conditioning, on her speed, on her strength and her athleticism overall. So she's definitely 
at the best form of her career. I think she could beat any prior version of herself at this point. Lauren Murphy is also a longtime veteran who's entered her prime with a finish of Mauro Romero Barella and a close decision win over Andrea Lee coming into this fight. I think she's putting her strikes together well. So I do like Lauren Murphy in this matchup. I know I, I usually pick against Roxy at the wrong fights, and you do too, actually. You've, I think you've been on the wrong side of Roxy picks for the last few fights. Um, but yeah, I, I like um, I like Lauren Murphy here by close margin. I think her takedown defense is going to be pretty good, and I think more importantly she'll be a little bit stronger and will be able to get up after Matafari takes her down. And I think her stand-up should be better, not by a huge margin because Matafari has been working on it and has been looking so much better in that department. But uh, I do hear you on that pick, buddy. It was going to be in my next couple, but I was going to pick Lauren Murphy. My next pick is going to be in the Austin Hubbard-Max Roscoff uh, matchup. Austin Hubbard is, you know, he's he's been a little bit ho-hum in the UFC. He recently took his first win that wasn't, you know, against a top, top prospect. Um, he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none, trains with a solid team, but hasn't really shown that pedigree. And Max Roscoff is not only a really well-respected Division One All-American wrestler, but he's also like a purple belt, I think, under Robert Drysdale, if I'm not mistaken. And he is like submitting black belts left and right, whether it be in jiu-jitsu competitions or in MMA. He's 5-0, and all five wins by submission. Um, Max is taking this fight on only six days' notice, but I like him to pick up the win. I think that he's going to be able to get the occasional takedown, at least in the first half of the fight. His conditioning looks good, just judging by his Instagram. Looks like he's been training even you know a couple of weeks ago, so he didn't just start training a few days ago for this one. And uh, I, I like Max to pick up a uh, either a hard-fought decision if he's not in great shape or a submission if he is in good shape. So you're, you're taking you're taking Max in this one? Yes, sir. Yeah, same. Same here. Um, but I wasn't going to I wasn't going to pick that till much later. Understandable. Um oof, now we're it gets I mean it gets pretty hairy from here on out, I think. So I'm going to start this not knowing which guy I'm going to pick, but I'm going to go here anyway. Um, I think that Shane Burgos is going to be uh, faster and more athletic and probably more creative against Josh Emmett. We've seen him get his lights uh, turned out by Calvin Cater, um, and Josh Emmett has light turns out turning out power, which he's done as late as the final, you know, the final minutes or seconds of a fight. Um, and he's also done in the first round, but his volume, his volume, he's very meat and potatoes. His volume isn't necessarily there. And he's, I don't want to say he's got a puncher's chance because he has more than that because he creates those shots and he's going to test chins. The question is, is Burgos going to get caught big? And if he's going to get caught big, does Emmett punch as hard as, uh, as Calvin? <sighs> Calvin, it turns out, punches really hard. Um, I'm going, I think this is one of those fights where Emmett's not going to be able to catch him in the three rounds that he has, and that Shane Burgos is going to uh, score a decision primarily based on volume. I hear that, and, and that makes a lot of sense. I think there's one of two possibilities. It's either Shane Burgos ends up with a decision where he looks really good toward the end there, or Josh Emmett catches him with a big shot. I happen to think that Josh Emmett's probably the hardest hitter at 145. I think he hits incredibly hard. And the thing More, is, harder than harder than CK, you think? I would say so. I, I think. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I think. Shane Burgos' prior loss uh, to CK, that, that was a situation where he's just an excellent boxer with a nasty right hand, eventually caught him as Shane Burgos was starting to run out of steam a little bit. Josh Emmett is not as technical. He's not as good a boxer, even though he's pretty good in that department. But he hits just, I mean, if he lands clean, yeah. it's probably over is what we've learned from his UFC tenure thus far. Um, Emmett's done a solid job of improving on his strengths and addressing his weaknesses. His strength is that he hits as hard, if not harder, than any other featherweight in the sport. He has a wrestling background and trains with uh, Team Alpha Male, who do a solid job of turning athletic wrestlers named Cody, Chad, and Josh into effective strikers. Uh, and at 35, Josh Emmett has had trouble against taller opponents who hit hard. And that is Shane Burgos, to be fair. Uh, Burgos is a solid pressure fighter. He lands eight strikes per minute, which is very high, and has the gas tank to back it up largely. Considering how slick he is on the feet, though, he's very hittable. His jiu-jitsu and takedown defense have been so solid kind of backups to his striking arsenal. He can be a slow starter as he gets stronger, deeper into a fight. Um, 
I, I do like Josh Emmett to land a bomb at some point. I just feel like Shane Burgos is way too hittable against significantly lower-level strikers. He will land his eight strikes, but he will take so much back. So uh, I'm in disagreement with you on this one, but by a close margin, there's a reason it's a pick and fight, buddy. My next pick is going to be... I'm going to go with... Oscar Piacetta to beat Marc-Andre Baryu. Oscar's shown the ability to actually win in the UFC, and so far we haven't seen that from Marc-Andre. Baryu's a slow, plotting striker who had plenty of success before going 0-3 in the UFC so far. Piacetta is a Robert Drysdale black belt with serviceable striking. After winning his first two UFC bouts, he's on a three-fight skid, having been finished in all three losses. So this is a loser-leaves-town match, and uh, I, like, uh, I like the pole, Oscar Piacetta, by a close margin. Uh, pierogies for all. I'm going with the same. Cool. Um, my next pick. Oh boy. There's three, there's three left still. Um, so there were four left. No, yep. wait, there's one, two, there's four left. Lyman Good, Muhammad Bilal, uh, Jillian Robertson, Courtney Casey, uh, Joe Selecki. Oh wait, Joe Selecki's not on the card anymore. Yeah. I think one, one of those fights got pulled. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So you're right. There are three, there are three left. Um, I know you're a big Matt Frivola fan. I'll probably let you take the bait there. <laughs> I'm hmm. I'm going to pick the Canadian Jillian Robertson to defeat Courtney Casey by close decision. This is a super this is a super pick 'em fight. I don't like I don't have much more yeah. much more to say. Um Courtney Casey's lost six decisions in the UFC octagon, most of them very close fights that could have gone her way. She's faced top competition like Claudia Gadelia, Michelle Waterson, Angela Hill, and Cynthia Calvillo. Uh she's a rangy striker, looks for submissions off of her back since her wrestling game isn't very high level. Jillian Robertson is a Dean Thomas protege whose style is centered around her ground game. She has serviceable striking that she mainly uses to set up single leg takedowns. None of her UFC fights have gone to the as she is mainly a killer be killed fighter and all of those finishes whether win or loss have been on the ground for her so it's kind of a catch-22 it seems like for her, um in the jiu-jitsu department but i uh, at this point yeah i'm giving the ever slightest nod to jillian robertson because she's gonna potentially get takedowns here courtney casey on some days has good takedown defense some days not courtney casey's got the skill to win this fight but it's all about which version of her shows up so i guess i'll go with robertson but this was literally the last on my list and it's because I, I had so much trouble going back and forth on this one yeah it was close i feel like good good uh Bilal muhammad's even harder but um, yeah i hear that uh, uh i don't speaking disagree of which you're, you're up what's your what's your next pick um i'm going to take Lyman Good to beat Bilal Muhammad. Lyman Good's a slight underdog, a plus 100 to Muhammad's minus 120. Good looks and generally fights like an action figure. He's fairly fast and explosive, but most of all, very experienced. He's ruled over the Bellator welterweight division before Ben Askren took over in 2010. Uh, he has been suspended for failing a drug test in 16, and at this point, he looks like a master against athletically inferior opposition, but has trouble with more crafty opponents like Lizzie Zaleski and Damian Maya. Bal Muhammad is a crafty veteran, though. Like, he's through and through. That's, the, I think, the best way to describe him. What he lacks in athleticism, he makes up for in grit and experience. Uh, he's beat just about anyone that's not a top welterweight prospect and always, almost always by decision. I give the edge to Lyman Good because I think he's going to have a good... Uh, he's going to have good luck defending takedowns against Muhammad, who usually likes to go into the department where his opponent is weak. And I don't know that Lyman Good is weak enough there. I don't know that Lyman Good will get tired um, and and kind of let Bilal Muhammad take over. I think he's going to be sharper on the feet and hit harder, even though Muhammad's defense is really very solid. So I do like Lyman Good by a close margin, but there's a reason this is the second-to-last pick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's probably what I what I was going to say too, because looking at Muhammad's previous losses, and it's interesting that you say that Good looks and fights like an action figure, because that's an apt description for Jeff Neal and Vincente Luque, two other men who defeated him. Yeah, uh, who defeated who defeated Muhammad, and that's that's what kind of what has me worried. Like I was thinking, I love Muhammad's skills, and Lyman Good can kind of sometimes come off mediocre, but he's you know he's the he just he. He looks and fights a lot like those other guys, the guys that Muhammad's had trouble with. Yeah. So I, hear that. I, I, I tend to I tend to agree with your pick there. I think it was um, I think that was probably a good one, which leaves me with uh, Frank Camacho, Matt Frivola, which I'm not 
I'm not thrilled to be stuck with. Is this a tiebreaker or is this a straight-up pick? This is a straight-up pick. We each have six on this one. All right, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Matt Frivola, um, specifically because I know you're a big fan, and if I get to win by virtue of picking him, it will hurt you. It'll... <laughs> I hear that. Uh, yeah, actually, watching tape on this one, I ended up initially giving Frank Camacho the edge, but then Camacho got taken down in his last fight, and that's what led to his loss. And I know that Frivola is not a great submission guy, so he's not likely to repeat that effort by Benil Dariush, but. I just like this new version of Camacho a lot, and I had so much trouble with this one. Matt Frivola is coming off a couple of wins over prospects and Jalen Turner and Violent Bob Ross. And against Violent Bob Ross, he had like some trouble in that second round. He was looking hurt late in that first round. He was looking hurt, and he's facing Camacho here, who has a decent chance of hurting him if uh, if the aforementioned opponent was able to. So. Uh, I, I guess I'll I guess I'll agree with you on Frivola because I like him a lot. I, dude's got tons of heart, tr- like fights with pure pressure. Even though he's athletically inferior, or smaller, he will fucking figure it out and do whatever it takes. So I, I guess I'm there with you. But I do like Camacho. I think his fighting style is exciting as hell. That will do it, Nikolai, for our picks. I'm quickly going to run down through the list. Uh, your first pick was Bobby Green. Second, you had Brianna Van Buren. Third, you chose. Roxanne Modafari, your fourth pick was Shane Burgos. Fifth, you had Jillian Robertson. And your final pick was Matt Frivola. My picks uh, first was Curtis Blades. Second, I had Roosevelt Roberts. Third, I had Raquel Pennington. Fourth, Max Roscoff. Fifth pick was Oscar Piacetta for me. And my final pick was Lyman Good to beat Bilal Muhammad. Nikolai, I look forward to declaring victory over you next week, buddy. In the meantime, let's take a break. And we're going to get into our betting recommendations for the card. Back on the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast, here to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Nikolai, my last two weeks uh, have been, you know, good and bad. I, I was $39 profit the week prior to last, and then this last weekend's fights, I had a $31 loss, I believe. So I'm eight bucks up over the last two weeks. It's a profit. I'll fucking take it. It ain't best case. A few of the fights that I bet on ended up getting canceled, which took away some opportunities, unfortunately. But at least uh, at least I got my money back on those bets. Uh, what do you got for the audience for this week, buddy? Uh, I like 25 bucks on Lyman Good at plus 120. I think that's a really great pick. Um, I think one would be wise to put a couple of shekels, maybe 10 bucks on Jim Miller at plus 185. Um, unlikely to pay off, but it's it. I think he's of all the dogs on the card, he's got a good shot. But of, of the dogs on the card, a guy I didn't pick, but to your but you did because um, you think he's going to land. Josh Emmett at plus 115. It uh, seems like a cool opportunity. Yeah, um, largely there with you. I recommend a straight pick on Max Roscoff. Uh, minus 170, $51 bet to win $30. And I have a couple of prop bets. Josh Emmett by finish. So if he can end this fight before the final bell, uh, $28 to win 50 bucks, plus 180 there. And then Raquel Pennington by decision. She doesn't really finish opponents, and her opponent in this case is fairly tough. I think tough enough to survive. At plus 125, for her to win by decision, $40 to win 50. I like good by decision because I think Muhammad is really, really gritty and tough to finish. has a lot of heart, so I don't expect good to be able to finish this fight before the final bell. 12 bucks to win $51. I think that's uh, plus 425 odds on that. I think it's a really good deal. And just to be safe, this fight is likely going to decision. Um, I'm laying $20 down on Bilal Muhammad by decision at plus 148. That's uh, $20 to win 30. So in either, if this fight goes to decision, either way I'm making a profit. It just you know depends how much of a profit essentially. Uh, for a parlay, I recommend Curtis Blades and Roosevelt Roberts. $60 to win 50 on that one, Nick. And that should Ooh. do it. Call that the sizzler bet because you're going out to dinner if you win that one, man. You're damn motherfucking right. And don't you think that I forgot about that $100 dinner bet that we made ages ago, Nikolai. I look forward to collecting on it. I don't have, I don't eat dinner anymore. COVID, man. Sorry. Wait, you don't? Okay. This is bullshit. This is ridiculous. I should have collected right away. Nick, <laughs> Nick have, you, have you heard, uh, you know, obviously uh, we got into the fighter pay thing last week and I thought that was a really good segment, pretty informative uh, for the listeners that did make comments to me that did let me know what they thought. Um, the the thing that Jorge Masvidal uh, has said is that watch like some of the UFC loyalists, some of the UFC sycophants, they're going to speak out 
against me. And that's exactly kind of how it turned out with Chael Sonnen talking about how Jorge Masvidal is completely wrong in this whole negotiation situation. Daniel Cormier talking about how this is the wrong approach. And was it Jorge Masvidal or was it Nate Diaz that brought in the views for the last fight? So, I mean, look, to his point, these two people who influence MMA fans' opinions, they happen to be getting checks from the UFC. And there's a goddamn good reason. It's true. An unrelenting tension is always going to exist between brand and superstar. Yep. And again, I've mentioned it all the time. The WWE was very careful after they lost Hogan and after you know Stone Cold and The Rock to to work. It doesn't always work out, but to work really hard to not let anyone become bigger than the brand. So no one kind of has them by the balls. The UFC and what Zufa and now with what WME have, they can't let the brand get weakened by a fighter leaving the brand has to be bigger than any individual talent that's not the case in boxing boxing broke that model the fighters and their individual promoters have all of um have all the chips there is no big organization like the ufc that um that holds it all together that's the glue and um so masvidal and these guys and mcgregor they're looking at you know they're looking at what prize fighters get paid in that in that more wild west approach and that wild west approach is not to the benefit of the UFC and its employees no but more importantly you call it the wild west approach it's an approach that makes boxers a shitload of money those that deserve it and makes the promoters good amount of money too whereas in the UFC wild west is what i would call it actually system which is where the promoter controls everything, makes all of the money, and gives tiny pebbles to even the top UFC fighters. Whereas, again, uh, about a third of UFC fighters make less than forty-five grand a year. Nick. Well, I'm not defending. I'm not defending that. What I'm saying is, boxing as a sport is like a groundhog that goes away for months and for a lot of fans years at a time, and then pops up because the interest in the sport is is directly connected to. Uh, a very very few fighters a handful of fighters globally boxing isn't boxing is not a, a it, boxing is a weekly or even a monthly sport for a micro 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 niche audience and that's if the fighters get um that's what that's kind of what would happen if the percentage of money that those guys are talking about the 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 Deontay Wilder, Wilder money starts going to a Jorge Masvidal or Conor McGregor. You don't have 500 fighters on a on a uh, on a roster anymore. 10 to 18 percent of UFC profits go to fighters. You're acting as if in boxing the 50-50 split is somehow going to have this negative effect on the entire sport. I think you're a little bit biased because you're looking at this as an MMA hardcore fan. But a but a barely a fan of boxing. You've got to look at it the other way as well. We, we're very much into MMA. For us, it's a weekly sport. For most people, it's not. I get mentions once in a rare while when Nate Diaz fought Jorge Masvidal. That's when my friends brought something up. When Cyborg fought, I used to hear something from my friends. When Conor McGregor fights, I always hear from friends and clients about how they're interested. Outside of that, Nick, there's not a peep. So I would say there's not a there's probably a bigger base for MMA. But boxing gets similar pay-per-view buys as does UFC with the bigger names, except that the boxers actually make some serious, serious money who headline those pay-per-views. The, the, top, the top guys do. Yes. Undercard guys do not. In the UFC, the undercard guys also make shit. And again, a third of their fighters make less than 45 k a year, Nick. And then, and then the top fighters, they make a maximum of a few million dollars when they bring in tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. Um, I think Conor McGregor is probably the only true exception to that, with Khabib being a close second. But well, l- let's face it. I think there's a hap- I think there's a happy medium. I think there's somewhere to go, but it's not going to be. The UFC can't. Ex- First of all, I would I would love for us to investigate this. I would guess that the that the uh, dedicated or what what marketers would call the core audience uh, for MMA it, for UFC in particular is 10, 10 to twenty times the size of a core like Friday Night Fights boxing audience, at least. Um, you know, we, we, should, we should dig into that and look at the reviews for kind of weekly, weekly smaller name or, or monthly boxing cards versus an ESPN Plus card. Um, but yeah, the fighters should get, should get paid more. UFC MMA does have a much larger middle class than uh, than boxing does, but I guess I'm explaining the re- some of the reasons beyond greed why uh, the control is in p- 
important to the UFC that will impact the, the narratives for fans. But I agree with you. They should get they are they are certainly underpaid. Uh, and we spoke last week about a bit about how Endeavor WME's um, problems this year and how they need the UFC to be making money. That's why the UFC is active right now. I think. Yeah, I think why it's there's part. cards going out with no audience is like. As that or you know the UFC is funding an enormous organization. Should the fighters have to eat eat it for that? Uh, abs- absolutely not. But I'm going to feel a lot worse for the Roxy Manafarias, the Hannah Cyphers, um, the Matt Frivolas of the world than you know a guy who already has a, a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. Being like a McGregor, a McGregor or Masvidal. Yeah. Oh no, I, I do hear you there. But Masvidal just, I think, made real money for the first time in his 15, 16 year career in his last fight. So he's not exactly a guy who's been reaping the benefits of a of a long standing career and all the brain damage he's taken. McGregor again, I, I hear that. I'm not feeling bad for McGregor. I'm on the same page with you there. But I really do hope that these top fighters, these top names who are relenting against the UFC in this same time, I hope they get together, including Nate Diaz, including Henry Cejudo. I doubt Conor McGregor would want any part of that because he's making shitloads of money. But it would be great if you know John Jones and Jorge Masvidal and all these guys came together to actually make a stand against the UFC because that will make a difference in the bottom line of the UFC. That's yes, that's what I want. What I want to see is a, I'd rather see a union than the, so everyone gets every all the fighters on the roster get treated with respect as yep. professionals than the top of the card get even more grossly weighted than it currently is. It's not as weighted as boxing. But when you look at the payouts, it's still very weighted up and down the card. Yeah, you make a good point. We should really focus more on the middle class of the UFC division than the upper fighters. I just feel like the upper fighters are the ones that can make a difference. Good episode in the books, Nikolai. Good discussion as always. I look forward to celebrating another victory for the champ, 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 champ. I think that's about 10 times. You're 50-50 in the last four. Oh! <laughs>